Hello, Strange New Worlds listeners. It's Mike here with a special treat. I was recently a guest on Trek FM's podcast, Earl Grey, which examines all things Star Trek The Next Generation. This podcast is hosted by my podcasting friend, Justin Ozer, as well as my new friend, Joe Keegan. They brought me aboard to have a discussion about all of our favorite exoplanets from TNG. I study exoplanets in my research, so I could speak to some of the science behind the worlds that we see on screen in Star Trek. It was a fantastically fun time, and I got permission to share a small snippet of that conversation right here on Strange New Worlds. So here I am, talking with Justin and Joe about one of my favorite planets in TNG. Mike, go with your third pick, please. All right, my third and final pick is the planet Atria 4 from the Season mm. sep- 7 episode, Inheritance. Um, mm-hmm. And this was an interesting planet because the premise of the episode is that they've arrived at this planet, which is getting a lot of seismological activity that is making the planet uninhabitable. And the reason why there are so many earthquakes on this planet is because its core is solidifying. Um, So planetary interiors sort of look like an onion structure. For Earth, we have a solid inner core of iron overlain by a liquid outer core of liquid iron overlain by this giant rocky silicate mantle and then our thin little crust and then our little hydrosphere and our atmosphere. Um, And so a lot of our planet is actually molten on the inside because it's so hot. And this molten outer core of iron um, is apparently what is solidifying on this planet Atreya 4. And when things solidify, they tend to uh, contract. um, And then that is propagating throughout the entire planet and causing the crust to crack and Mm have giant earthquakes. So the premise is that the Enterprise needs to come and save the day. They're going to essentially shoot a phaser uh, into this planet and reheat the core to reliquify it. Um, yeah. And that's that's a really interesting idea. Um, so I decided to uh, do a little back of the envelope calculation. I wish Amy were here because, you know, I did some math this <laughs> she, morning she for her. She could check your math, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> she could check my math. But um, but uh, yeah, so basically what I did is I, I said, okay, let's, let's imagine that this planet is basically like Earth. It's got an outer mm-hmm. core of a certain volume and all of that has frozen solid. Um, and we want to melt it. So I took the latent heat of iron, because that's what the core is mostly made out of, mm-hmm. and I figured out basically how much energy you would need to deposit into this core to melt an, uh, an amount of iron that is equal to the volume of the outer core. Uh, and I got a huge number, of course, because it takes a lot of energy to melt something so ginormous. Um, and then what I did is I, I was wondering, okay, so can the enterprise actually do this? Uh, and so I, I said, what is the, ener- uh, the enterprise's power source? Uh, it's, it's fueled by antimatter. Um, and so I calculated how much uh, 
energy, how much matter. So, okay, well, let's back up. What, what, is, uh, what does it mean to be fueled by antimatter? Basically, you've got some antimatter and you've got some regular matter. They, when they meet and they touch each other, each other, they just completely explode uh, and they convert all of their mass into energy by Einstein's famous equation, E equals mc squared. So that actually gives us a really easy way to calculate the mass of antimatter and matter that you need to combust to get the amount of energy needed to melt this core. Uh, you just set the amount of energy needed to melt the core equal to mc squared. If you divide both sides by the speed of light squared, c squared, then you get the mass of uh, antimatter that you need to do this. And when I calculated this out, um, I got that you need a, a mass of antimatter about a thousand times the mass of the Enterprise D. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, hand wavy order of magnitude back to the envelope calculation, but you basically need to 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 have a thousand times the Enterprise D uh, uh, of an antimatter reaction, and obviously the Enterprise D mm. definitely doesn't have more than one times the mass of the Enterprise D worth of antimatter on board. Um, so it seems like mm. a little bit of a ridiculous thing, uh, but I I was reading in this Star Trek science log book um, that Andre Bormanis the um, science consultant for TNG wrote, and he actually had a little uh, snippet about this episode um, and said, yeah, that was a little bit unrealistic, but you can imagine that phasers, uh, which are made of nadion particles, can start some sort of chain reaction in the planet because, you know, nadions, they're, <laughs> who knows how they work? <laughs> um, and so that's the way they they explained it um, in okay. that book. But yeah, it's it was a fun little calculation to do and uh, really shows you how large uh, planets are and how much energy you would need to yeah. melt a, a core that's really cool that you did that calculation nice. like it, it's always struck me whenever you have these things in tng where it's like the enterprise is going to come by and fire some phasers or some beam and the whole planet is going to be like it seems much more realistic that like if you really wanted to change like a whole planet you would have a fleet of like thousands of ships around the planet like all firing at once or something like that and then maybe you'd have enough energy but like one ship has always seemed like okay like i'll just wave that aside but it, it yeah your calculation confirms it it's, it's too much <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah the only other thing that i wanted to say about this planet yeah um is that it it really hits home the point that planetary habitability isn't just about this thin exterior of the planet. Uh, we talked about how an atmosphere really helps, but even that is also just this thin little portion of a whole planet. What goes on in the interior, the deep interior of the planet, in the core actually really does influence um, the habitability of the surface. And the Star Trek episode illustrates one way uh, in which it could happen, this catastrophic event where the entire core freezes up and the planet sort of contracts and cracks and has a bunch of earthquakes. But another thing that would happen if the core of the Earth or any other terrestrial planet froze is that we would lose our planetary magnetic field because it's the mm -hmm convecting motion yeah. of the iron in the outer core um, thanks to its liquid nature that generates our planetary magnetic field which shields us from all sorts of harmful radiation from the sun and from outer space um, and so if uh, we had a solid core like perhaps mars does um, uh, it, it, and Mars doesn't have this giant magnetic field that protects it, uh, the atmosphere would be much more easily stripped away and we would receive a larger dosage of radiation here on the surface. Um, and uh, it, it's all thanks to what's happening, you know, thousands of kilometers beneath our feet that we can owe our, 
our existence to. If you enjoyed that sip of Earl Grey, I know you are going to love the rest of that episode. The link to the episode titled Andorians on Enceladus and the whole universe of Trek FM podcasts is in the show notes. Just one last thing before I warp off, Earl Grey actually has a third co-host, Amy Nelson, who sadly was away on the Star Trek cruise when I guested on Earl Grey. But not to worry, she is going to be my special guest on my next episode of Strange New Worlds to tell us all about that cruise, and also how she, as a math teacher, brings Star Trek into her classroom. Until then, see you out there.